Welcome to a Christmas edition of Backlash Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff, with Team Rhino Outdoors. And if you want something for Christmas, well, you're it's pretty much over. You're not going to get it in time for Christmas. It's way too late in the season. Go check out our website for any of your musky fishing needs. But if you want, you can get a gift card there for your musky fishing buddies. And you can get it instantly, too. It's a really slick deal. You can just order up the gift card. gets emailed over to you. You can print it off. So if you're late to the game, if you're one of those super late shoppers, you can go check that out. And my co-hosts today are Brad and Kerry Hoppy, Musky Mayhem Tackle. You can check out their website. It's muskymayhemtackle.com. And they have the same option there. If you want to go get a gift card from them, go pop on over there, buy up a gift card, get it emailed right over to you so you can give you can give musky stuff for Christmas yet. It's not too late for that. It's going to be a little late for one of the shipping companies to come get you something in time for Christmas. So anyways, getting over to Brad and Carrie Hoppy, you guys have anything to talk about this week? Yeah, I don't really think there's anything super pertinent, but, uh, you know, the detonators were just released. I know that's been uh, kind of a talk for about a week or so, but uh, super happy with uh, the response to the public and totally appreciate our customers. That's for sure. We appreciate you coming. And uh, they're not only available on our website, but through great uh, retailers like yourself, Jeff. And we certainly have a great supply of them. In fact, we've had to reorder them already. So anyways, Brad, you brought up customers. We're super appreciative of our customers. And you and I had like a little conversation yesterday about shows because I believe I saw an announcement now that the Pennsylvania show is closed or gone. So now we have Chicago's not going to be there. Milwaukee's not going to be there. And Pennsylvania is not going to be there. So the earliest show we would see would be the Minnesota show, which is, in my opinion, very much on the fence. And the Wausau show, which is very much on the fence also. So Brad and I had a conversation and Brad said, well, how much are you going to miss shows? And I said, Brad, I'm not really going to miss, I'm not going to miss the, the grind of the show. I said, Brad, the only thing I'm going to miss is talking to the customers at the show. I said, that's all, that's the only thing I'm seriously going to miss about not being at shows. I love it Friday at two o'clock when we open up. I love it. And I love talking to customers. I love hearing the stories. I love it when you guys have suggestions on the podcast or the YouTube or the whatever else we got going on or custom colors or anything that we have and that part of it we're going to miss. And that's the only thing. And so that's, I feel bad about that part. And that's pretty much all I feel bad about with shows as far. Like we'll, we'll go on. We'll Carrie and I kicked around a couple ideas and we'll start talking about a few things probably in the next podcast, I think. Or, yeah, maybe the one after. It'd be right around in there. But anyways, so we got some ideas on things that we're going to do this winter. But it, we, you know, we had a really busy season. And for that, we just want to thank all of our customers because, quite honestly, we couldn't do without you. We thank everybody who views a YouTube video of ours. We thank everybody who listens to a podcast. And like I said, we just can't thank you enough. And, you know, we truly are going to miss you all that would come out to the shows and talk to us. I have a a variety of people in my head that I talk to on a regular basis at the shows every single year, basically. And, you know, for that, I'm sorry, we're not going to see them. Absolutely, Jeff. You know, and one of the parts that's kind of a killer about this is literally that's maybe the one point in the year where we actually get to converse with some of these customers. And I look forward to that. You know, I mean, it's how we catch up because uh, we've not exchanged phone numbers or what have you, but you know, some of our customers that are out there that are super loyal to our, to Muskie Mayhem Tackle as well as Team Rhino, send us some pics, man. Just, to, you know, go on uh, Facebook and send us some pictures and maybe we can kind of look at it that way and still at least communicate to a certain level. I would agree. And on, you know, kind of jumping on that. So, Brad, in a, if you, you know, if it's a picture, if it's an email, if it's a, you know, whatever you guys want to do, I mean, there's ways for us to keep in contact you know, throughout the course of this winter doesn't necessarily have to be face to face at a show, which, you know, like I said, we would certainly would much rather be doing that. But, um, I got an email, Brad, from a guy and it was funny cause I, I, I know I told you the story and I said, this is the only good advice I think I've given on the podcast all year. So one of our listeners heard the podcast a couple weeks back talking about me wanting to continue to put in as much time as I could into this season. Cause I knew that in January I would regret not taking those extra trips. And so he went out and he took my advice. Sadly, I mean, it's odd that somebody would actually do that on this podcast. They should all take Brad's advice 
or Carrie's advice even, probably more Carrie's than Brad's and mine. But anyways, and he went out and he grind, you know, he, he was grinding at the end of the season and he said he managed to put his personal best in the boat. And he, he thanked me, even though it's all him, it had nothing to do with me. And he just remembered that my voice in his head saying, I think you should get out one more time. And so he did. And so that was a very cool story. I was very happy to see that email because I had to share that with Brad and Carrie because just shows you that our, you know, people do actually listen to our podcast, oddly enough. Yeah, it's so cool. You know, I mean, the reward to doing the extra hours that you put in for this podcast, Jeff, when you hear back from somebody like that, it makes it all worth it. That's for sure. I mean, there's, there's so much negativity in this world that we live in and hearing something like that, it definitely, uh, kind of keeps, you know, keeps that fire going. Yeah, absolutely. And so I have one other story too, that it doesn't necessarily pertain to an email that I got, but it's a customer of mine sends me a message on Facebook and him and his buddy were going out fishing and his, he didn't have his boat or whatever it was. Uh, this is Nathan and his buddy's like, Oh, I got it covered. I got this boat. So he shows up at the boat launch and I guess he's got like this, I don't know, like a little eight or 10 foot boat between the two of them. And long story short, they managed to catch a, I think it was a 51 incher, which for, for their waters over there, it's, that's pretty rare. It's, I mean, it just doesn't happen every day. It's not like, you know, Minnesota where they seem, they seemingly fall out of the sky, but anyways, uh, so they get a 51 incher. So I thought that was a cool story. Just, you know, we all worry about having the latest gear and the, and the biggest boats and the Rangers and all this stuff and how the muskies just don't care. It was a, it was a cool story there. I think it was like an eight or 10 foot boat. He's like, there was barely enough room for both of us to fish in there and they managed to get a 51 incher. So that was a cool story I heard too. And like I said, you know, hearing these stories, like Brad said, is really what keeps us going doing this podcast. It's, it's cool to hear those stories. And if you have them over the course of the winter, something cool happen or whatever to you this fishing season, certainly let us know, you know, we're, we are really truly going to miss not seeing our customers at these shows. Yeah. That's a super cool story, Jeff. I mean, think about it. You know, I I've had it happen over the years, different clients go, well, I can't do what you can do, Brad. And I go, why is that? And I said, well, we don't have a really nice boat like you do. And I'm like, are you bailing water? Well, no, I go, well, then you got the right boat. So quit worrying about that. You know, I mean, it's about time on the water and it's about, you know, just pushing forward. It's the dedication, it's the work ethic. And ultimately that's the real gig. And so that's a super cool story, Jeff. Yeah, I was, I've, I've been meaning to share that one for a couple of weeks and uh, you know, it is Brad, you get busy and you don't, you don't think about the stories all the time that you hear. And so I finally jotted a couple of notes down this week since seeing as though I had the first story to tell about the customer that finally listened to me, like I said, or not customer, the, the listener. And, uh, you know, managed to catch his personal best. So those are cool stories. It's awesome to see that the podcast is even having a little bit of influence on somebody's, you know, fishing, whether it be, you know, just something as simple as what I said there. So that was awesome. Really, really neat. So with that being said, I don't even know if we ever mentioned it. Our guest this episode is going to be Kirby Budrow. And Kirby used to guide and he did a lot of fishing over in Minnesota. So we're going to have a conversation with, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about solo fishing and we're going to talk some about night fishing and just a little bit of general BSing in between. So that's our guest for today. Yeah. You know, and Kirby, I've known about Kirby for many years and I follow him on Instagram and everything I've ever heard about Kirby is that he's a solid, super good dude. You know, I think, uh, I think we're going to have some fun chatting with him this evening. Yeah, I agree. Definitely a new guest on the podcast. You know, maybe not well as well known, but as we've talked about before on these podcasts, Brad, some of these guys that aren't as well known catch more big fish than a lot of these guys that have pictures all over the internet. Yeah, you know, you can't judge a book by its cover, right? And uh, it goes to the 8 to 10 foot boat that you were just talking about. There's guys out there that we don't even know about, never heard about anything. Maybe you don't even know he's a musky angler, but at the end of the day, some of those guys shine brighter than any, you know, pro musky fisherman or maybe a guide or whatever you want to say. But, uh, so you know what, Hey, you can learn some stuff from, uh, from all walks. Absolutely. So unless you guys have anything to add to this episode, I don't know if we'll say it at the end or not, but, you know, we want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We'll have a New Year, you know, we'll have another episode before New Year's. 
but this is the last one before Christmas. And once again, we just want to, you know, thank all of our customers for who supported us this year, you know, many different ways, YouTube's podcasts, purchasing from our website, any of it, all of it, you know, we just, again, we can't thank you all enough. Absolutely, Jeff. I agree with that 100%. And everybody should have a Merry Christmas. All right. Our guest tonight is Kirby Budrow. And we just want to thank Kirby for spending some time to come out and talk musky fishing with us. It's been uh, it's been a little while since we just had a solo guest on. So this will be a, this will be a new experience for us. It's been a couple of weeks we did that guide panel and that was pretty cool. But so Kirby, for people that don't know much about you, why don't you kind of Tell the listeners what got you into musky fishing. Maybe talk a little bit about, you know, what area of the musky world or, you know, whatever you uh, you generally spend most of your time in. All right. Well, hey, I'm, I'm from Grand Rapids, Minnesota, up uh, in the north central part of the state. I grew up there originally, actually, and I live in Chisholm now. But uh, I started musky fishing, I think I was probably about 12 years old. I, I don't even really remember the age, but... Uh, pretty young i remember before that seeing an old in fisherman video from with al linder on it talking about muskies and i was just like hey this is me i gotta be a musky fisherman these fish were way bigger than anything else that i'd ever seen you know and i knew about them i knew they existed i live in northern minnesota you know so um it's kind of a big deal around here but i didn't have a way to catch them you know or anything like that so um I have an uncle, uh, he's a professional fisherman. Um, he has a lot of, he's a walleye guy, but he had a lot of tackle, um, and stuff that he just lent me. So he gave me a couple rods and some baits and, you know, 12 years old, I couldn't even get to the lake myself. So, uh, I convinced my dad to take me and we went out and he caught a, uh, a small tiger and I was a little jealous, but, uh, you know, it got me going. It was a really cool strike and, uh, caught it on a little blue fox bucktail, if I remember right. And, uh, I remember then after that, we were trolling along this weed bed, the shallow weed bed. And I, I had this suic on this old black suic that was just an ancient one. And I got hammered by a fish and I look back and all of a sudden there's this bit, decent sized muskie jumping and fish tailing. And then it got off. Well, right then and there, I was pretty much hooked. Um, 12 years old and ready to go musky fishing every day of my life. But really, I didn't get going on it too heavily for a while since being so young, I didn't have a way to do it. So I slowly built up an arsenal of musky stuff. And whenever I'd get a chance to have a friend take me or uh, we'd go, but we really didn't catch much. Um, we were just teaching ourselves at that point. Um, finally, I was able to drive and my dad let me have free reign of his boat, which was great. I had a Lund Angler that was uh, actually a really good musky boat. So I started going all around to our local lakes and fishing and learning. And then finally the cowgirl came out and, uh, it was a couple years after that it came out, but I, I finally got, got one of those and started figuring it out. Things just kind of clicked and I started catching muskies. Um, but you know, local to Grand Rapids area, there weren't a lot of big muskies. So uh, catching a lot of 40, 42 inches, maybe not even a lot at that time, but I would, that's what I would catch. And I'd see on Facebook at the time, a lot of people catching big 50 inches. And I was just like, ah, it's gotta be me someday. So I just started digging into it more and more. And I convinced some people to show me around Vermilion and Bemidji area. Um, and, you know, I'd start seeing and catching some bigger fish there. And, you know, after that, I had, I kind of thought maybe I should start guiding. So I did. Um, I started booking some trips. That was in around 2013 or so. And uh, that went really, really well. Uh, I had really good success rates. Like a lot of clients caught fish with me, but I was working full time too. So I didn't really have a lot of time to guide. So eventually I just kind of gave up on the guiding thing, but I've always worked with uh, different bait companies like big two tackle i started with with them just kind of helping in development of i kind of helped develop the clack bait worked with fart sonker beaver bait phantom and now i'm kind of uh with bait rigs right now and i don't necessarily work with them i just like to you know help them out by giving them pictures of fish 
that I catch on their baits and promoting them a little bit. But other than that, um, I'm just a musky guy. I just love it. And I'm going to continue to do it as far as I can see into the future. Yeah, that's super cool, Kirby. It's always cool to hear everybody's story and kind of get a, a reflection of how it goes and where it goes. And you've been in the game quite some time now and, and you're known for it too. I mean, it's, it's really cool. It's crazy how a fish can kind of give you a, a little bit of popularity on the internet. It's just a stupid fish, but people just love them. Well, I think that's what kind of makes the musky world a little bit different too. You know, it's a little bit unique in the sense that a couple big fish can definitely cause a boom, if you will. And, right. um, and when you, you get seen or you heard that you're catching some big fish, people start really paying attention and whether you're guiding or not, you know, that that's part of the equation. Right. And the guiding thing, that was really fun. Um, and I did even, I did a little bit of speaking uh, at a Muskie Zinc meeting one time, just working with these different bait companies to, you know, kind of get your name out there. But and it, at the time I thought, well, this was, might be a career for me, you know, guiding. But um, eventually I kind of just realized I like to fish with my friends more. So, and that was, and then even I got married too. And my wife liked to fish while well, she was like, oh, you're guiding this weekend. I'm like, uh, uh, well wanted to fish too so uh that's kind of pushed me in this direction to where basically i'm just a guy that fishes a lot now yeah it's so funny how it kind of reacts and and goes that way i know carrie and i spent a ton of time in the boat and as my guide date started filling we got less and less time i think we kind of joked around about it last year she got out with me a couple days and i don't remember how many years it had been carrie do you remember that I caught a fish with you casting. Yeah. Like 12 or something. <laughs> Think about that. Last summer was 12 years that she had, it had taken before she had caught one with me. Casting, um, yeah. casting anyway, you know, it, it's just weird how things change. Trolling's fun too, though. Yeah, but that still took 10 years. Oh, wow. Well. She, she never got in the boat. <laughs> Time to she get in the boat. Yeah, she wasn't welcome in my boat. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, it has nothing to do with that. What it, what it really ultimately means is that I was that busy, and you know I've slowed all of that down now. But uh, it, it's crazy, just like you said. I mean, it is really fun to be able to fish with family and friends, and making some of that time. You know, when when you're truly guiding, it's seven days a week, six months out of the year. So. That uh, that's changed a little bit for me in the sense that you know family is important and it and it's something that needs to take place. You know, you need to make time for one another. Right. I'm trying to just enjoy the sport in general too, and not trying to say, "Oh, I caught a hundred fish this year." Um, you know, I I enjoyed doing it at the same time as fishing hard. Hands down. It's supposed to be fun. I say that all the time on the podcast and I mean that 100%. You know, if you, um, when you become a guide, there's no, no doubt about it. You end up, it's work at some point, right? So, you know, being able to back off just a little bit and maybe call it a couple hours early or maybe go out an hour or two later, you know, sometimes that's kind of fun and relaxing and it, you get back to the roots of that first moment when you first get involved in the sport that's kind of how it was this year for me especially with the i, I kind of knew this year was going to go the way it did with all the pressure the increased pressure i just kind of anticipated that and i just put it in my head hey this year i'm just gonna go and fish and have fun and not let all these other people worry me basically I hear you. I, I even told Carrie at one point, I'm not going to guide. For sure, I'm not going to guide on Saturdays anymore. Um, but uh, no, no, exact words. I'm done fishing on Saturdays until Saturday rolls around. And then he's like, I'm going to go fishing. He just couldn't help himself. So It's hard, man. You got to fish. They're out there. That's what I, I mean, it's just crazy to me because I, it becomes such an addiction. It's in my blood. I can't stop. Mm -hmm. 
let's shift gears here. You know, one of the things that we had talked to you about is uh, fishing alone, basically solo fishing. And we've had some questions in the past that people want to know, you know, what does it entail if you're going to be a solo fisherman? And I'd like to pick your brain on that some. And one of the points that I really want to talk to you about too, Kirby, is, you know, how you're taking pictures in the boat if you do catch a fish and things like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so solo fishing versus with a partner, um, you know, actually having a partner, your boat control is a little bit harder. You have to kind of pay attention to your partner all the time and making sure they're in the right position. So it's kind of an advantage to you to be by yourself in some ways with boat control. You can kind of just use the wind a little more and maybe the ball of the boat's not in exact perfect position, but nobody's there to care. You know, it's just you and the fish at that point. So it's one reason why I really like solo fishing. Um, it's just a little bit easier in my mind to concentrate on presentation, putting the bucktail or the top water or the bulldog right where it needs to be and not thinking about anything else. And then really thinking about, your bait as it's going through the water column, getting fish to bite it. Um, it's kind of hard. I shouldn't say hard, but it's a little harder when you're thinking about one or two other people up in the front of your boat. And I, I drive the boat from the back of the boat. Uh, a lot of Minnesota guys do that. I see a lot of advantages to that. Um, but especially I like it if I am fishing with a partner, I like it. I'd rather have a partner up front getting first chance at the fish too. Um, I'd rather net a big fish for somebody and see them happy about that than have uh, somebody in the back, especially my wife, have to net the fish for me and be like, oh, I wish you would have caught that. But a couple major things to think about with uh, boat, or with uh, uh, solo fishing, taking pictures, it's kind of, you're always got to think one step ahead. So what am I going to do if I catch a fish or if I get a fish to bite in the first place? Is your net ready? You got to have the, the handle extended because you're by yourself. You're not going to be able to extend that handle out by yourself while trying to fight a fish. And imagine if it's a big 50 some incher right next to the boat and you lose it while you're trying to get the net ready. Um, that's kind of the first thing you got to think about. A little bit keeping the boat clean too. Um, kind of a funny story I'll throw in here too. Well, one time I was night fishing with my wife and is in regards to keeping the boat clean. I got the net sitting in the back of the boat by me and I'm in the back and we're going through this really good spot and I stick a fish way out and I'm like, okay, I got her. And you know how things are when you get a fish, it's real pandemonium, you know, and this was really actually her first time night fishing and I didn't really prepare her very well for it. And she goes for the net and there's two pounder bulldogs stuck in the net immediately. And I'm like, oh, what's going on here? And she's in a panic. And then she she gets one of them out, but the other one gets stuck in the, the gas line mesh around the motor. And so she's got the net connected to the motor from a bulldog. And she's just freaking out at this point. And I'm like, okay, it's, it's fine. It's like a 45-incher. I got it. So it's fine. I'll just leave it here. But she doesn't even have a headlamp to try and get it to, or to try and unhook this this date from the motor and so eventually she finally gets it and she's all flustered and she grabs the bulldog and throws it right over the side of the boat with no line attached to it and it sinks right to the bottom so That's we finally awesome. got the fish and <laughs> it was it was funny but really not that that has anything to do with solo fishing but it's a matter of just keeping your net clear and ready and and uh all the time in case you do actually catch a fish so then once you get that fish in, in the net, anyway, you got to figure out how you're going to take a picture of it. And you should be thinking about this ahead of time, but I use a tripod with my cell phone. Um, I've got an iPhone and I, I set it up on a tripod. And even before this, I'll, I'll turn that camera on and on video and I'll stand in, in the view of the video, pretending I'm holding a fish. You look kind of stupid, but pretending and just seeing what it'll look like and then you go back and look at the video and say okay is this going to be good for if i do catch a fish am i going to get the whole thing in the frame 
and then you can even put like a piece of tape down on your boat and show where you're supposed to stand and where your your uh, tripod's supposed to sit at the same time as well, just so you you have have it down really smooth. And then another thing, you want to make sure you got the bump board ready. If you're going to measure the fish, you don't have to measure it, but you know, wet the bump board down, put it on the floor, and make sure it's pointed the right direction. You see a lot of times in videos where a guy will pick up his fish and it's like a 53 inch or something like that. And he goes to measure it to lay it down and the bump board's backwards. And they're like, oh, and they start to, to try to turn it around and you're actually starting to lay the fish down. Well, then it flops and you're dropping a 50 inch on the ground. And so just subtle things you want to think about. But just put your bump board, lay it down the right way, and then pick up the fish. Well, first turn on the camera, start recording, pick up the fish, lay the fish down, take the pictures quick, and let it go. And I think I can do that in about 20 seconds, which is really minimal to, to the fish. You know, I hear a lot of people talk about, oh, I had the fish out of the water for a minute or two minutes even, you know, and they think that's not a very long time, but really you can do it a lot faster than that. That's a couple of things that... I just wanted to point out. You know, Kirby, one of the things that um, comes to mind when you're talking about this, you said to go into video mode. And are you literally leaving it in video mode at that point so that maybe you can just take stills from that video? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's what I'll do. Usually I'll take a still. And you can even hold it in different um, positions, you know, you know, put the face at the camera quick and get a cool shot like that or, um, stand back or even move forward to see if you get a better um, view of the fish but and then even you can save the video and even post a video of the fish too um, that's all cool too so yeah absolutely uh, one thing that came to my mind you know you were talking about the tape on the carpet tape for the tripod tape for where you should be at you know if you're really testing it I'm guessing you could probably just hold the bump board up too like it is a fish you know I, I right. That's what came to my mind. Yep, exactly. Hold that up, and that's the perfect size because you're per for sure going to catch a 60 inch muskie. But <laughs> well, that happens every week, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> In my book. <laughs> <boat, it does. laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm coming with you then. Brad, did, yeah. did he say 60 inch or 16 inch? Because I got the 16 inch thing covered pretty hard this year. <laughs> There's some of that too, Jeff. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna use that. Yeah. That's what I'm gonna use that bluegill bump board for. I'm gonna use it for my for the muskies I caught this year. Well, it kind of sounds like from our post that we made the other day. Um, there's a few people that uh, are gonna use that for that. But uh, yeah, who knows? So Kirby, sure. then when you're when you're solo fishing, you're talking a little bit about you know taking pictures. When you're, what's the preparation going to? Like, what kind of? I mean, you obviously got to have things in certain order. What do you, what do you kind of have going on there before you get out on the water? I like to make sure I got all my tools right in, in a good spot. Um, tools are one of the most important things in muskie fishing. Your good hook cutters, I, I got some nipex. Um, I've got like a long tyrant tackle picker that you can dig deep in, in the throat of a fish too. If you're by yourself, you got to have all these tools and you got to have them really close by you too imagine if you are digging in the net that that fish and it hooks you in the hand and you can't reach your tools to cut the hook off uh, you know you could be in a real sticky situation there without a partner you might be waving somebody down but or at night maybe nobody's around um, so it's really important to have that um i've got my boat organized the way i like it um i got the bump board sitting there right under my tackle box and the tackle box has all the tools right there and usually what i'll do is when i i net a fish wherever it may be in the boat you know in the bow or the back or whatever i'll just kind of slowly drag the fish around in the net over toward where i typically do my surgery which is right by my tackle box in the back of the boat so and you can hook your net into the cleat and it'll hold there usually or if you need to like stick the handle in a, a seat or something like that you can really hold the net still without having to worry about you losing the net in the water as well yeah I, I think that's not only important as a solo fisherman but even when you do have a partner you know you, you got to be thinking about those things and 
I think one of the things that came to mind when you were talking about all that with releasing a fish and actually handling the fish, it is, it is only about 20 seconds. And I know I've brought this up a couple times in the podcast, but I did a video about that. I don't know how many years ago, but it's on our YouTube channel. And literally from the moment I lift it out of the bag, it's about 20 seconds, 18, 20 seconds. It's amazing. And you get some yeah. good pictures yeah. in that and you measure the fish. I mean, think about it. Yeah. It's, it can be a quick routine. And of course, the more you do it, the more practice you get, the better you're going to be at it. But uh, I think that was a valid point. Yeah, it definitely takes practice too. But I mean, that is something you can practice too before you catch the fish. Just like I was saying, practice taking the picture. You know, I've done that sitting in the garage when I initially got a, a new bulk. I was like, okay, where do I need to have this camera set up? You know, I just did it while I was sitting in the garage. Absolutely. You know, there's some other neat things out there too. I mean, you're saying you're using a tripod nowadays. I mean, you can get little phone clamps or GoPro clamps and clamp it to a windshield or maybe it's a rail or whatever it might be. I mean, there's so many different tools that we have to make that whole experience easier. Seems like most people are using, maybe not most, but a lot of people are using GoPros now, which, you know, kind of makes a iphone obsolete but i don't use one personally so i just use my iphone but it works great for me and you know i'm not in it for the spectacular picture they're cool don't get me wrong but especially when i'm by myself really it's just the catch for me and the just a quick memory absolutely i agree with that 100 percent. i mean pictures are cool it's something that you know, years down the road, you'll be able to go through an album of some sort, whether it's on your phone or computer or whatever it is. But it's so cool, man. I mean, it's really cool to be able to touch as many fish as we get to in a year. And it's um, it's something that I think later in the future, when we're older, we'll be able to look back and enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I got to laugh again at that, Brad, when you're older. I remember the uh, when you FaceTimed me last night to watch a video, and Carrie mentioned uh, something about all the gray in both of our beards. <laughs> so I think we're already there. Hey, we're getting there, but <laughs> I'm not I'm not ready to roll over yet, Jeff. Yeah, I'm not either. I'm just saying. I, th- I, think, we're, I think we're already in that category, though. Well, I'm not just oh, sitting on the couch good. looking at pictures, so. <laughs> 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 uh, so, Kirby, when it comes to you know, solo fishing. One thing a lot of guys wonder about is like how fast you're working the structure. Are you working as many different pieces of structure as you would if you had a partner? And why don't you talk a little bit about your process for breaking down water when you're by yourself? So yeah, it's harder when you're by yourself. You can't cover nearly as much water. You know, you cover twice as much water if you're if you're with one other person at twice as many casts, basically. So it's harder to find an active fish. So there's a couple of ways to go about it. You can put on a bucktail and really cruise as fast as you can and try and find an active fish. Or if you're, if you know the lake well, you know, and you, you know where fish are, you can just pick apart spots a lot slower and try to get those fish to bite where you know they exist. So a lot of things I like to do. Um, I, I kind of prefer that approach a lot of times. Um, the lakes I fish, I know where there's big fish sitting. So I will use a slower moving top water a lot of times and just slowly pick them apart. I, I wouldn't say I camp on a spot, but I want to make sure I cover every inch of that spot, especially if you know the fish are going. Um, and if you're, if, if you're bored with that and you want to throw a bucktail and you can always just go as fast as you can too. And that works too. It just, um, depends on the mood of the fish that day. But as far as, uh, boat control and, uh, speed and type of structure, it's all going to be the same unless you are throwing a, a slower bait, you need to slow down a little bit. So, you know, I typically cast everything the same as I normally would, but the nice thing about being by yourself is you can be a little more stealthy. And this, this kind of my, my own approach, um, some spots that are shallow and maybe have good weeds and rocks, um, that, you know, hold big fish. Sometimes they're hard to get into without spooking the fish. And so if you're by yourself, sometimes I like to almost back into spots 
or use the wind only to get me into a spot and not use the trolling motor or even sometimes I'll go as far as to turn the sonar off to try and be really stealthy. Um, you know, I fish some really pressured lakes and really pressured spots and anything like that to help me not or to, to make sure that fish doesn't know that I'm there. Um, it's something I'll, I'll try to do. Um, so I like to be as quiet as possible and this kind of doesn't go for every spot because you know a lot of times you're sitting off the structure a ways and it's not as big of a deal but there's a lot of spots where you're shallow and i think those fish will spook really easily from the boat so if you're by yourself you don't have to worry about that front guy you can just kind of mosey in and pick stuff apart the way you want to do it without thinking about somebody else i try to fish knowing good spots that's that's one main thing you know i do explore when i'm by myself a little bit but exploring with somebody else makes it a little easier because you know you go through a spot and it's like okay this looks like it's pretty good but it might take you an hour to fish it by yourself where you know you could cut that time in half and figure out whether or not it's good even maybe it's no good and and you find that out a lot faster if you have a partner so personally i don't explore as much when i'm by myself one story I've got about this spooking these fish. I was going into this spot. It's a shallow weed spot, and I know there's some big fish that use it from time to time. And it's it's dark at this point. I'm going into it, and I look on the side imaging. I use hummingbird mega side imaging, and I look out on on the other side of the boat, and there's this giant fish sitting there, and it's bigger than any fish that I've seen, and it's like right by the boat, and just i just see it on the mega imaging i I don't visually see it at this point and and it just stays there but it's not out in open water it's just off the break um and i think what happened is i i came into the spot too hard and i i spooked that fish out of there it was a really really big fish and i think those really big fish are smart enough to know when you're coming and so if you're quiet not making noise with your with your trolling motor especially is kind of the key uh to me i'll drift into spots if i can but i think i scared that fish out of there and i ended up casting at it a bunch of times over open water and it it sat there for about 20 minutes and then finally i I keep going on a little bit and then i I turn around with the side imaging and look back at to where it was and it's gone and then I turn and look at the weed line again, and then it swam back. You could see it swam right back in and sat right on the edge of the weeds. And at that point, I spooked it. It didn't. It knew it wasn't going to bite anything. But um, it's just kind of a point I like to make: is just be as quiet as you can at, on pressured pits and pressured spots. So Kirby, the one thing sometimes I've done before when I'm solo fishing is I'll actually go fish a fish an area and then you know, I, I typically fish kind of slow when I'm solo fishing. And then I'll sometimes if, if, if I know, or feel like there's a really good chance of there's a fish there, I'll actually change baits and I'll hit that same spot again. Is that ever a tactic that you use or do you kind of hit your one spot one time and then head on to something else? No, yeah, I'll I'll do that for sure. And that, that definitely works. You know, if I'm by myself, I do have a milk run of spots I'm going to go through and I will recycle through those spots if i'm out there long enough and it it will work um in fact uh i think you could change your baits i think you can change your casting angles um i've seen it happen a lot of times where you say you'll go over this good rock point or something like that and you'll cast it and you think you got it covered and you go around the other end of it and you turn around and a fish comes off of it and either bites or you see it and so doing something different, casting angles, baits, that's a changing baits, that's always a good idea. I'll definitely go through and re- recycle through spots very often. In fact, you know, uh, some of these spots are worth hitting several times a day, I would say, if you have a really good spot. So then speaking of baits, I guess I'd say, what's your go-to to start out with when you're solo fishing? Are you trying to fish fast to locate fish? Or do you kind of do a lot of scouting and then you're in areas where you already know there's fish and then you can kind of use a slower presentation? Why don't you talk a little bit about, you know, what your style is as far as, you know, bait selection? It kind of depends on the time of day a little bit too that I start fishing. But 
a lot of times what I do is I get out in the afternoon and, and intend to fish into the dark and I'll start out with speed. Uh, usually I, I know I'm fishing spots that are good anyway. Um, but I'll go through and I'll throw a junior cowgirl is kind of my go-to bait, um, for speed, especially, um, I've got this laser shad one that I think is just killer. Usually I'll strap one of those on and hammer through the spots. And then once I know I'm getting toward evening, then I'll start to slow down and put on like a slower moving top water. I like worse flap tails, any really any of the good top waters are great to throw in the evening. And I think, you know, this year it was tough because you didn't see a lot of follows because during the day because of all the pressure. I didn't anyway. And so you didn't, I didn't locate fish. Like sometimes you'd like to go try and locate fish and come back to them after or right at dark and try and catch them. Well, I didn't locate them because I didn't see anything. I think there's just too many people out there, you know, kind of harassing these fish. And so I knew where they're sitting anyway. They're, they have to be there. There's good spots or they're going to move up at night or in the evening. And so at that point, go throw your, Floor moving top waters and my depending on the structure you're fishing obviously but i like a slow top water in the evening you know after that uh, and even right at sunset i'll throw a supermodel very often um i think there's not much of a better bait especially uh in the lakes i fish up up here for an evening and night bait as a supermodel and now i see you got this detonator coming out that thing's going to be probably just as good or better than that um, especially for the first few years of its availability. So I'm really excited about that one too. So Kirby, yeah, I mean, I, I'm super ecstatic about this detonator bait. You know, it, it's an 11-inch bait where the supermodel's 13, but it's got that large profile. Definitely a special bait in the sense with the 13 blade, which is the same as on a supermodel. And then we have the number 10 blade below it. And it definitely sends a whole different vibration, a ton of wobble. And the neat thing about it is, and I know you got to play with the trigger earlier this year, is it has that steel barrel underneath the clevises as well. And one thing that we did with the detonator is we made, uh, we used larger clevises and we used a larger steel barrel underneath them. So definitely provides a different kind of grind. It's kind of, if you know, the, the basis of what that grind really is, if you've ever had that special cowgirl, where you just get that crazy grind in it and you can almost hear it and you can feel it in your rod. It kind of does that right out of the package every time. So that's the special part. Yeah, I'll definitely attest to that. And when I did get one here, I think it was late September, that trigger. Um, I did catch one uh, in late September and it was after dark as well too. I was just kind of slow rolling through some weeds and uh, she ate. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. I'm excited, you know, I, and I'm with you. You know, the supermodel can be so effective after dark. And the neat thing about that after dark stuff, I like the larger profiles, you know. And, I mean, the trigger got it done in the dark as well. But, you know, once you move into that darkness, I think a bigger profile bait, something easier for him to identify and, and find. Absolutely. Yeah, I can throw a supermodel all night long. Now, are you one of those guys that burn it too, Kirby? I do, yeah. <laughs> and I I feel the pain, but yeah, I I'm starting to not burn them so much. Um, you know, just based on a you know, I'm pretty beat down from it. And I I don't think you need to burn the supermodel. I think it attracts so many fish that you just can convert them right in the figure eight with that thing really easily. Um, so. Burning, yeah, it's a great way to do it, but I don't think you have to go warp speed with them. Yeah, I would agree. And I think a lot of that depends on the structure you're fishing as well as what water column those fish are sitting in. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, if you're fishing a deeper rock hump or something, you know, you can really slow it down and get it down in there. But if you're up in some weeds, you got to keep it moving too. Hands down. I think this sounds like a good place to kind of transition right into the night fishing side of it. I mean, you let us right into it. Yeah. Yeah. So I've, I started night fishing, um, about 10 years, well, maybe 12 years ago or something like that. I'd see a lot of these pictures of 
of you guys and uh, everybody on Mille Lac with these giant night uh, fish at night coming on cowgirls. And I was like, oh, that's got to be me. So, you know, I was throwing the cowgirl too, and I was catching a lot of fish and stuff, and it was great. But, you know, at, at some point, the fish just got really smart. I don't know if you call it smart or conditioned, but they seem really smart. And you kind of got to figure out another way to catch them at night. And I kind of switched to a, this year, I, I threw a lot of top water after dark. Um, and, uh, and I threw supermodels basically. And I think people, people throw supermodels quite a bit, but maybe not quite so much as a cowgirl. So they, it's, it's a little less of a, a bait the fish have seen. So it's a, I like to throw something that the fish are not seeing as much. I would say probably the cowgirl is the main thing that people throw at night. But I also, another thing that I'll do to change it up a little bit and, and get my bait seen is I'll sometimes throw a junior cowgirl at night too. And that, that works good too. And one kind of, uh, I wouldn't say misconception, but uh, something that people always do is go really slow at night but i've kind of found that actually even on a really dark night you can speed your bait up and actually catch quite a few fish that way too if they're not biting um i've caught fish um not burning but moving the junior cowgirl pretty quick after dark and i think these fish are way better at finding baits than we give them credit for so that's one one little point i'd like to make there but as far as being a good night fisherman, um, boat control is, is even more important. Um, and spooking fish is even more important, not spooking fish. Um, I try to use my trolling motor very minimally and I'm going at night by myself a lot too, which if you're new to, new to night fishing, I would definitely suggest going with a partner. It's kind of difficult. Yeah. Everything's just harder at night, right? You can't see. So, just important to think about the safety aspects of it there too. One of the cool things about night fishing though, Kirby is, yeah, you're right. You can't see, but I think it's, it's really interesting to me. And I always think about this when I'm out night fishing, because you kind of use different senses that you wouldn't normally use throughout any day. You know what I'm saying? So Absolutely. You really, you get in tune with the bait, you get in tune with, the position of the boat, it, it, it's pretty cool because you're visually, you're blind, you know? Yeah. The first hour of the night is kind of hard, and I kind of get a little bit dizzy almost, especially if it's a dark night with no moon. Um, you can't, you almost can't even see the water ahead of you, and so you kind of lose a little bit of depth perception. That's what happens to me anyway. So if you just stick it out past that and it kind of wears off and you get really used to it. And like you say, in tune with your surroundings, then it, it becomes really fun. And the reason I really like to do it is just to be out there alone. And that was kind of the theme this year. Um, tons of pressure, tons of people. Right. So, um, that was my way of beating the pressure is just getting out at night. And basically I start my night at night. A lot of times I start right at sunset or even after sunset. And, fish until two three in the morning uh, on occasion i'll fish all night i just think it's really it's really peaceful but at the same time the anticipation of a giant eating both side at uh, uh your supermodel or topwater or whatever you're throwing it's just it's too much to handle almost yeah i think part of that too kirby is uh I, you know those fish aren't quite as pressured obviously but i think a lot of times people they, they neglect to think that, you know, oh, it's going to happen within the next half hour right after sunset or the next hour and a half. And a lot of times there's a window in the night just like there is during the day. So definitely sometimes I think you're better off going through the night like what you're talking about. If you're committed to it, get after it, you know. Exactly. And that kind of leads me right into my point here, um, you know. I, I find my best windows are probably between one and three in the morning, especially in a year like this with warm. I think the water is cooling down a little bit. And it causes the fish to get a little more active late at night. But I also like to pay attention to the moon too. And not so much the moon phase, but whether or not the moon is setting or has already set it and is down um, for the night. But I really like the moon set like right around 
midnight or one o'clock and it seems like all of a sudden the fish just start going nuts right then. Um, not every night, but that is, that's a key that I always look for when I'm picking my nights to go fishing. A real bright night sometimes can be kind of uh, not as productive for me unless there's like a good wind or some sort of weather coming through. If you got the moon up, there's a shorter opportunity during the major to catch fish, in my opinion. And of course, you got moonrise too, right in the evening, usually around full moon. So that's usually a window, but it seems like right after sunset, you you might get your, your window right there, and then you're not going to get a window again until major, which happens in, at like one in the morning. So you got to stick it out to get that, to hit that window. Kirby, how do you deal with the bugs? <laughs> I tough it out. I'm from Grand Rapids, so I'm used to the bugs, but uh, I, what I do like to, I, I like to wear the uh, sun shirts with the hood on them. I'll put that hood up. That really helps. And then you throw out a little uh, bug spray and really the bugs die down after an hour or so in the evening too. So then it's not too bad. Seems like June is probably worse too. Once you get into July, the bugs, July and August, the mosquitoes kind of die off. So it's, that's Northern Minnesota for you anyway. It's, it's not so bad, but uh, I do have one of those thermocell things I've tried to, and it didn't seem to work that well, but. You know, the bugs for Carrie and I have never been a huge problem, but I know there's tons of people that can't handle it. And if you were talking about bugs, one of the buggiest places I think I've ever fished was probably Malax. And I remember years ago, we would plan the whole day to night fish. So we'd get out there around four or five, six o'clock in the evening, and we're planning on fishing into the dark quite a ways. And my guys could not get through that first hour because you're right. That first hour is the most crucial. If you get yeah. through that, generally the bugs kind of disappear. And um, so many times guys were like, you know, we've been out there maybe three hours, four hours, and they're like, just take me in. I'll pay you whatever you want, you know. It's so comical <laughs> to think about. But, you know, one of the things that with the bug side of things, Carrie, uh, I don't even know where you found those, Carrie, but they have like these jackets that uh they're sweatshirts they're sweatshirts yeah they have some built-in bug stuff before they repel bugs yeah i've heard of those too i've never tried one and i got um, my wife a head net too a mosquito head net that works you know but sometimes she'll just bundle up on the bow of the boat with a sleeping bag and hide until the bugs go away (laughs) well that works too because like you said an hour later it's usually pretty pretty easy going but yeah so i'm going to shift in shift gears here again because one of the things that i want to talk to you about is color selection of your baits on a bright night or maybe it's light pollution you know from the shoreline or whatever maybe it's the moon creating that light versus the pitch black you know where it's just total darkness what color baits are you normally throwing after dark i usually throw a dark bait on a dark night um and what I do, you can't see that bait usually coming in. If you're throwing, say, a black double pin, um, it's hard, really hard to see coming in. Or even anything that's got some color to it is hard, is hard to see. I, I have a rubber bead, a glow bead that I'll put on top of my leader. I'll, tie, or I'll slide it up the line and it'll, it'll go right over the notch on the leader. And if it's, if it's dark enough, you know, it's where you can't see that or you can... Um, glow that thing right up and see that bait coming a mile away really when you have that rubber bead though too you know you can kind of jam your your bait right into the leader or your rod right into the leader without worrying about hurting your rod too anyway so sometimes i don't even glow it up i just you know i can feel it and i'm not i'm not hurting anything but definitely i think a dark bait on a dark night works better um bright nights i'm not so sure it matters as much i used to use um, a bright bait on a bright night. That was kind of the, the consensus of what worked, but I think they can see whatever color at on a bright night. They can see really well, I think. I mean, I can see half the, or more than half the fish coming in, um, and I've seen how they react to them, too. You know, I've had... Uh, I, I can think of one instance where I was bringing in a black cowgirl, and the night was really bright, and I saw this fish coming in, and I 
I could not keep that bait going fast enough in the figure eight. Um, it just didn't want to want to eat it, but it was just on it. And I was figure eighting as fast as I would during the day. So it could see it. No problem. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I've always said is, you know, with the light pollution or the moon, whatever, chartreuses and pinks have always worked really well for me. I mean, it, not only can you see it really well, but it seems like the fish love it too. And I know you fish a lot of clear water, kind of like I do as well. Yeah. And it is very helpful for you to see that bait even probably more so than the fish. So you, you've got better control of your bait during the figure eight, if you can see it. Um, so that is definitely beneficial. And, you know, I know people who will throw white baits at night on a, on a really dark night too, and they catch a lot of big fish too. So it's hard to say. I think you throw what you have confidence in. And I definitely have confidence in a black double-bladed bucktail of whatever size on a dark night. So I'm going to keep throwing that. Yeah, confidence is the key a lot of times. And I, I would totally agree with that. Um, kind of going back to your little lighted bead, I know owner makes them. I don't know if, if that's the brand that you're using, but they're kind of, they're about like the size of a Tic Tac, if you will. And yep. uh, they're a squishy little rubber material and they glow up really good. Like you were saying, um, I didn't know if there was a different brand or if that's what you're using Kirby. Well, I got mine, I think off the shelf at L and I don't know, you know, most people probably don't know what L and M is, but that's just the local store around in Northern Minnesota, but, um, just the fishing sporting goods store. Um, I, I, I don't know what the brand is off the top of my head. Yeah, the ones that I've used in the past um, are just a owner brand. So same as the owner hooks. That might have been it. I don't remember. But that's about what they are. They're about the size of a Tic Tac. And they've got it. The problem is you've got 80-pound test uh, line you're using. you got to have a bead big enough to get that line through the hole. And that one works really well. So, Kirby, why don't you talk a little bit about moon phases and night fishing how much do you rely on the moon when you're out there at night? Is it kind of, you kind of go off the same sort of stuff that you would during the day? Yeah, it's really similar during the day. You know, you have your windows during the day and a lot of times they're based on the moon. Um, not every time, but weather too, obviously plays probably a more important role, but, um, and it's the same at night. Uh, moon phase is important to me. Um, you know, I check what it is every every day, probably. I plan my vacations around it, or I, I plan all my fishing trips a little bit around it, at least. Um, and mainly, I'm just looking. The full moon is important. You know, you, it's just the problem is there's a lot of people out there on full moon. So I, I don't mind fishing during a half moon or new moon either. Um, but I, I'm mainly looking for when the moon is below the horizon. And I'll try to plan my trips around that moon above the horizon. Yeah. You can catch fish on any time of day, but especially with given a, a good weather day, but I think the moon being down below the horizon is a, is a pretty big factor in getting bites, um, regardless of phase. So, you know, you got your new moon that sets right at sunset. So, you're getting a really good window right then at moonset, right at sunset. That's important. And it's strong, strongest pull is on the new moon. So that's probably my favorite time to fish would be new moon, especially at night. But then in the middle of the night, you got your major again, right? And, you know, at one o'clock in the morning, something like that. Um, so then you got a really good window then. And then again, at sunrise, if you wanted to stay out all night or get out right at sunrise, uh, you got the moonrise window again and in, in coinciding with sunrise. Um, so it's, it, it's pretty nice. You got to pay attention to the moon, full moon, same thing. Except it's just opposite. The, the moon is high at night above you. Um, but even, uh, in a half moon, um, or any other phase of the moon, I'm always looking for moon set or major. That's my main thing. Be one of the things that I always find interesting every year um, is that, you know, maybe it's the AM minor, maybe it's the AM major, um, you know, something every year seems to be kind of a key. And about the time I get it figured out, the season that is over. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed yeah. that ever. It definitely does seem to change. Yeah. And 
this year I had good action on the majors. Sometimes it's the minors. Um, you know, you just got to go out and figure it out that year. But I would say overall throughout the years, um, the, the major below the, uh, when the moon is below the horizon is probably overall my best time to catch fish. Yeah, that's interesting. That's super cool info. Yeah, I mean, it's only something you can kind of figure out on your own. You know, time on the water is just the only thing that's going to help you with that. But, you know, you can try it and see if that works for you, and you might find the complete opposite as, as I do. So, Well, the cool thing is, is the best way to figure it out is to be on the water. Absolutely. And then, you know, you got, you got to pay attention to weather, too. I mean, that's, that's even more important than the moon. Um, and at night, too, like we're talking, um, I'll, I'll keep an eye on the weather all night. If I'm fishing until 3 in the morning or something like that, I'm, I'm watching the weather and seeing, is there a, a small front that's going to come through at 2 in the morning? I want to make sure I'm there for that. You know, is it clear right now? But I can see uh, a wall of clouds coming. I want to be there. I want to be on my best spots for that. And um, I kind of I try to pick my best spots for deep into the, the night when there's going to be a major or a or a good uh, weather event happening. Um, and that's that's typically when I get my my bite. I can appreciate that 100 percent because I think weather trumps all. I mean, honestly, whether there's a major or minor, whatever it might be, weather trumps all in the game of muskies. Yeah. But then you catch one when nothing, when uh, the moon is uh, not doing anything and the, the uh, weather is just crap. So <laughs> how do you predict them? You try your best, but they're pretty unpredictable. I think if it was easy, there'd be a lot more people trying it and doing it. And that's what kind of makes the sport special, though, really, honestly, Kirby. Yeah, absolutely. One of my best days of fishing, I was, uh, me and a friend, uh, Josh Craigthorpe, we were up fishing on Vermilion, and we're fishing the spot. We're, we planned a night fish all night, and this was uh, September, but we're fishing, and it's just too windy. Um, I caught a fish, though. Uh, at probably like 11 at night or something like that but the wind just kept howling and we're like ah let's just go take a nap and and get up before sunrise and get out to the spot again and and try it well it was new moon um this cold front was coming through right at the perfect time and we we get out right back to where i'd caught that fish and we caught four more within i don't they were almost all back to back casts uh, right on the same spot and it was just a new moon, perfect weather. Um, the fish must have just moved up from open water or whatever. Later, it was in September um, when fish were really starting to make a shallow push. And it was just incredible, you know, to catch four fish, probably in about 20 casts between the, the two of us on the same spot. So really, we caught five within probably like five hours off the same spot. That's incredible. That's, that's the fun nights, that's for sure. Yeah. So just thinking about the weather, basically, you know, it's, it's, it's important. It's like, I, I'm not going to be effective out here all night when it's windy. Let's, let's wait and fish during, uh, we know we got moon, new moon coming at, at uh, sunrise. Um, let's wait and we can see. Um, I bet you there's going to be a good window on it. It sure was. So let's talk a little bit about windy nights. I mean, typically... My thought process was, you know, you, you want it to be a little bit calmer after dark. Just, you know, for the fish, plain and simple, for them to be able to make contact with where that bait's passing, you know, and, and being able to identify where that bait is. But in the last couple of years, I know I have definitely caught some fish in some pretty windy nights. Absolutely, yeah. And my thought process has changed on that a little bit, too. Um, I always tried to pick a warm night. I used to do this where uh, it was relatively calm. It's nice to have a little bit of a chop always, you know, flat home, you know, it can sometimes be a little bit difficult even at night, um, but not always. Uh, but this year I, I was all fishing and it was a bright night and I, 
there was a strong wind that just kept getting worse and worse. I'm like, I'm not going home. I'm already here. So I, I just know there's a spot, this funnel that the wind is just ripping through, but I know there's fish in it. I'm like, well, what am I going to do to get in there to catch those fish? The wind's going to blow me out immediately. So I just got up into this funnel with the big motor thinking, Oh, maybe I'll spook them. Maybe I won't, whatever. I dropped my trolling motor down and put it on spot lock. And it was like on 10 the whole time trying to hold me there. And I start fan casting around in this funnel and I didn't actually catch these two fish, but these two, two fish came from different sides of the boat. Big ones just came up and out of the, into the figure eight and almost nipped in the, nipped the end of the supermodel. Um, and it just, it kind of changed my opinion of when's the best time to catch a fish at night. It can be really what you'd consider poor weather too, where, you know, it's too windy to be out there, but you can still catch fish. So anytime to fish is a good time to fish, really. Anytime you can fish is a good time to fish. Yeah. You know, one of the things too, Kirby, is that I think we, we sometimes maybe give the fish too much credit or we, we don't think that they're capable or able to identify our baits or whatever. You know, you mentioned it earlier about speeding up your retrieval after dark. And I've been hearing a lot about that, you know, I mean, and maybe it's a misconception, you know, we've always said, slow things down after dark, slow things down. But again, you know, I, I think these fish are more capable than we actually tell ourselves or allow ourselves to think. Yeah. It's all our, our perception, you know, of what they look like or what they can do underwater. You know, we don't really know how they chase down a tulipy that can swim faster than any bait that we throw. So yeah, they're, they're a top of the line predator. So we can't underestimate them. Hands down. Well said. So Kirby, before we take off, if somebody's looking to start solo night fishing, I would, we'll call it next season. Obviously there's some listeners that are still out fishing yet but I would say the majority of the anglers have hung it up for the year. Either, you know, season's closed, iced up, whatever. If there's a, a tip you can give them for getting out solo fishing, what's something you can offer up? Well, I mean, uh, the main thing is uh, you don't have anybody with you. You don't have to tell anybody you screwed up that fish. But, uh, you know, in all seriousness, you know, just think ahead. That's kind of the main thing. You got to think about what you're going to do if you catch a fish or what are you going to do if something bad happens. So just be prepared and also slow down your boat speed, use your lights. You know, you never know what's out there. You're flying across the lake at night, especially by yourself. You could run into a log or a canoe floating out there or anything. So just think about safety. I think that's probably my biggest tip. Think ahead about the safety of the fish and yourself. So Kirby, we just want to thank you for coming on the podcast, taking some time out of your schedule to talk with us. And, uh, before we head out is if you got any, uh, you know, Instagram pages or anything like that you want to push. Yeah. Um, I'm on Instagram. Uh, my name on there is muskies every day. And I've, I've also got Facebook. I'm not on there as much as uh, my Instagram though. So yeah, give me a follow. Sounds good. Thanks again. And, uh, we hope you have a Merry Christmas. And like I said, we just can't, you know, thank you guys enough for coming out. We thank all of our guests for coming out because, you know, they don't get anything out of it. So without them, it'd be just me, me, Brad and Carrie talking. And I don't think anybody wants to listen to that for too many episodes in a row. So, you know, once again, thanks for coming out and happy holidays to you and your family. Yeah. Thanks a lot. You guys, you too. I really enjoyed it. Merry Christmas.